Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of Infinitely Prefer a Book, a podcast for those who prefer reading. Today, I'm talking with Abby, a longtime friend and kindred spirit. We're going to be discussing The Curious Charms of Arthur Pepper by Major Patrick. Grab some cocoa and listen in. Hi, Abby. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm doing good. So I've known Abby for about, I think I was trying to count it out. It's about eight years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, We Mm -hmm. used to live close to each other when we both lived in St. Louis. And Abby would come hang out at my house and we'd talk long into the night. Um, Those were some really great times. And I would definitely say that Abby is one of those friends who um, we can just like pick up a conversation or pick up our lives whenever we left off, even though there might be like years in between. I feel like we've done that a couple of times. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about the last time we talked or the last time we saw each other, you were helping me decorate for Christmas last year. Yeah, it was about this time last year. I drove out Mm -hmm. um, to where you guys are living and um, it was really fun. We kind of got to decorate with the lights and stuff. So um, Mm -hmm. I remember the last time we had talked to you guys were um, thinking about becoming farmers. Yes. How is that going? So that's happening um, slowly but surely. I'm, I'm personally working more in my career, which is with children with autism. And then my husband has uh, recently uh, got out of the army and gone into the National Guard, and he's working with a Veterans to Farmers uh, program where they're, he's doing training in uh, beekeeping and in general agriculture things, and that's, gonna, that's like a training program internship thing that goes for about a year, and then we'll see. So... That's cool. So when did that year start? Well, that's that that year is going to start in January. So he's just been okay. volunteering there, and um, st- he did start a class, uh, um, an amateur beekeeping class, and they they have about two hundred and fifty hives that they help build and keep to take care of, and mm. he's been doing that for the last two or three months. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'm glad you guys are making your dream a reality. <laughs> And then we'll you're see. still doing, because um, just, just tell the listeners what it is you do for a living. Are you still doing that? Yes. So I'm a, I'm a board certified behavior analyst and I work with children, primarily children, some, sometimes young adults and adults uh, with autism on the autism spectrum. And I work primarily with people in their homes. So I go to people's homes and write programs and then supervise um, execution of programs so with parents or direct care providers are you still really liking that uh yeah yeah I mean it gets it's a job sometimes I mean I I like I like my job uh, most of the time there are things I don't like about it but um, that's understandable (laughs) (laughs) a lot of jobs are that way I think (laughs) but it but it's not at all related to autism it's usually administrative stuff that I don't like Mm -hmm. doing um so, and I like working with people and being in people's homes is, is always special. You know, you to, there's a lot of, lot more factors to take into account and you really understand people when you're inside their house. So that's good. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, I've always, um, when we met, you were, your husband was doing a master's degree program um, and you were also doing a master's degree program 
at the same time. So and I think I, ha- I might have just finished my master's program when we, I met you or I was just about to finish it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think you were like um, a class away. So we were all kind of all in school all at once. So it's kind of fun to see what everybody's doing, you know, years, years on. So mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. And then yeah. I remember it was so sad. I saw on like social media right after I left last year, you are a roller derby fan fanatic or you, you play roller derby and you had broken your collarbone. Yes. That was about a year ago. It's crazy. It was December uh, 14th last year. Oh my goodness. Um, that I broke my collarbone. I was in Kansas city doing it, uh, playing a tournament and um, which I'm grateful. I had a friend with me cause I was just going to drive myself to Kansas city and do this tournament. But my friend, I convinced to just come along with me and she took me to the hospital and well, actually, I rode in a, I rode in a, a, an ambulance to the hospital. And oh my goodness! Ended up having did surgery. Oh. Yeah. Did it happen while you were at the tournament or at practice? Um, it was at the tournament. So I oh was goodness. playing with a bunch of people that I didn't know. They were on my team. They just picked me up to play to play on mm-hmm. for their team. And um, so it was. It wasn't even with my league. I was just you were uh, you know like volunteering. Oh, what's it called in sports? What's it called when you're like a, a free agent? I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I was a great sports free. person. You're a free agent team. Yeah, I was free agenting. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They just loved my skills so much. <laughs> so That's great. Basically. Yeah. So have did you get back into the roller derby saddle? I mean, are are, are you? Did you hang uh, up your skates? Bit. I did kind of. Well, I kind of retired. Um, well, I was after I was fully healed they I it, that took about nine months um before they would wow. let me have like full contact again so I did go back after that period of time for a little bit and I played in one tournament um back in August but um I just it's just so much time like commitment as like practices and and bouts during the you know during the weekend and it, it was just a bit like I got really used to not doing it so I kind of got in the habit of not going to practice and I think also just never you're never the same like after you're an injury like that it really mm-hmm. took a hit um literally in my life <laughs> for my yeah. my confidence so knowing that my body is destructible it was it changed my attitude towards it and uh, never really got back mentally into the game so yeah. But, you know, another season maybe, like when I'm less busy and I, you know, that was right when Patrick was getting out of the military and my hours at work were ramping up and everything else mm-hmm. was kind of stressful. So, you know, another yeah. another season maybe when my kids are grown or something, I can go back into it because I really did love it a lot. Yeah. No, I remember you were way into it and you were really good too. I mean, I saw some of the videos and stuff, so kind of fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um. I think, weren't you homeschooling your kids when we were, when I was there? Yes. Yeah. So I'm still homeschooling my kids. Well, sort of. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, It's, I'm really intimidated being on a podcast right now because I've recently just become obsessed with a lot of different podcasts. I've just kind of gone into the rabbit hole while I'm driving around. Yes. (laughs) So I've listened to yours and um, there's a few others, but I'm homeschooling. Uh, has been a topic that you can get into pretty intensely on podcasts because homeschoolers tend to like that kind of education. So, um, 
yeah, so I've been kind of, I mean, when I'm with my kids, we homeschool, but I'm not with them all the time. So they, they kind of learn on their own. Uh, and Patrick obviously helps out with that too. Yeah. But yeah, they're so, not in school. They're not in public school. They're not in public school. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I think, I think homeschooling looks different for every person. So I, I, I right. consider that homeschooling. That's great. What kind of, pod, what are the podcasts you like to listen to? Are they homeschooling podcasts? Um, there are homeschooling podcasts. I've been, well, I've been kind of broadening my horizons with, um, I've been listening to a lot of like, uh, kind of crazy anarchists. Like I'm actually kind of worried that I'm on the radar <laughs> for like oh, no. the kind of like the government is listening to me and watching all the podcasts that I downloaded. Anyway. Um, but there's <laughs> not, I mean, totally tongue in cheek, but just unschooling kind of like edgy, like super libertarian, super anti-government kind of people. I don't know, but I, not that I am totally in that camp, but know yeah but but you kind of always have been to a certain extent so I guess if you you were on the government's radar now you were always on the government's radar a little bit I'm glad you pointed that out to me because I've never felt that way I've never I don't know I've never associated myself with that kind of crowd but I guess to be fair you've always been very patriotic and I think you probably would still consider yourself very patriotic but you've always had that um anti-establishment bent to you I think yeah, which is funny because I'm a behaviorist and I, I believe that, like, everybody can be controlled. <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe that's funny. why you're so resistant to being controlled yourself. Yeah, probably, probably, which is the worst kind. That's funny. So in addition to all your podcasting and all the things that you do, do you ever have time to read? Um, yeah, so I've been trying to read... This is another, this is another homeschooling thing, but I've been trying to read the original works of Charlotte Mason. Mm. Um, that's, that's kind of what has been taking up most of my reading time right now. Um, and it's really interesting and very enlightening. Uh, and it's really kind of changed, uh, shifted my philosophy a lot about just how to, how to treat children and, and uh, so forth. I mean, she was, she was an educator around the turn of the century, 1850s uh, and later. And um, I think she died in like 1910 or something, but in England. And um, she had some really radical ideas about education and children in general. So that's kind of what's been eating up my time. But uh, so that's kind of boring. I'm sure that's, that's not the kind of she, reading that you're interested yeah. in. <laughs> no, you're that. Hey, that's whatever you like. She was someone who kind of, um, posited that like children are full humans and should be treated as such. Cause that kind of her radical thinking about children. Yeah. 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 Children are born persons and education is an atmosphere. And so, uh, you have to, you know, she did have a lot of emphasis on like training good habits, but, not, um, I guess, hindering the child's ability to like act for themselves. So, yeah, that kind of thing. that's cool. So I, I remember, I mean, you like to read biographies and things like that, anyway. So this is, although it's sort of work for your homeschool life, it's probably similar to other things you like to read. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of nerdy, but it, it's like I'm. 
it's a real page turner for me. <laughs> like even with her old language and like, I just, I just love it. I just, I can't stop. I love it. So it's, that's really cool. Yeah. And do you mostly read, um, like paper copies or are you reading like some sort of ebook? Um, I, I did order like a, she, she wrote these nine volumes, um, about, it was like, it's like a home education series, but like home for like, like when rich people had governesses and stuff like that. So, um, right. it wasn't like a home, modern homeschooling by any means, but, um, she has nine volumes and I, I ordered a, a paper omnibus edition. It's like a, the nine in one or whatever, however many volumes in one, it's like tiny little writing, and, but like, again, like it's a real page turner for me. I can't stop. So, um, I do, I do prefer paper books. I do prefer paper books. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. But this book that we're about to discuss, I don't know if we were ready to jump in. Yeah. But um, I did listen to this one on a, using the Hoopla app. Oh, okay. Awesome. Um, for the, through the library. Um, and it was good because it was British. I was a British author, reader. And so they, you got all the different accents and I enjoyed, I enjoyed listening to it that way. A year after his wife dies unexpectedly from pneumonia, Arthur Pepper is coping with his grief by keeping the exact same routine he and his wife had before she died. Wake up at the exact same time every day, put on the outfit he had laid out the night before, and have his breakfast of tea and toast before sitting in his house all day avoiding the neighbors. Urged by his daughter to begin sorting his wife's belongings to give away to charity, he stumbles across a charm bracelet he doesn't remember seeing his wife wear. He becomes obsessed by this bracelet and what the charms mean. He goes on a journey of discovery as he learns that his wife was once an ayah in India, lived on a tiger refuge in Bath, was the muse for a famous poet, co-owned a dress shop in Paris, and was engaged to a painter before his tragic death. Along the way, Arthur finds himself and makes new friends and neighbors and strangers he meets along the way, as well as rekindling his relationship with his children. Spoilers ahead. I was not at all surprised when you chose the book because, for one, it's set in England. Um, so to, for, the, for the listeners, I chose all the books for this season, but I did present all my guests with an option of what they wanted to read. And so Abby chose this book. But um, I know that England is very near and dear to your heart. So that kind of made me think of you. Um, or like I kind of thought that maybe you would choose this one. Mm -hmm. um, what were your, so it was kind of fun that you had like a, a British narrator in your ear. I'm sure that would be, make it kind of enhance that experience a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What were your yes, general impressions of the book? Um, well, I, I was kind of, it was, it's different than the kind of books that I normally read. So that was, um, it did take some kind of like, I, I don't know. I, it wasn't a real gripper for me. It's not the mm -hmm. kind of thing that would normally like pique my interest and, um, you know, get me to keep reading. Um, but I did enjoy, you know, the descriptions of even like their flats, like the, where they were living and, um, the geography and like walking to the train station, like those are all places and things that I can picture in my head, which was really fun to kind of go back to, uh, those places and 
And uh, the kind of people that live in those places, you know, like those characters were very, the characters were very, I don't even, what's the right word? It's not iconic, but uh, stereotypical. And mm -hmm. I could, I, you know, like, I feel like I knew people that were being described, <laughs> like, yeah. in England. So that that was kind of fun. Yeah. It, I mean, he was definitely just like, I thought of Arthur as sort of what you would imagine, um, a British elderly, you know, a pensioner or whatever just to be. Yeah. I feel like I've seen his um, caricature on so many British television shows before where he's just, you know, he has mm -hmm. his tea and he's has his sweater vest and everything. It's all very mm -hmm. just so. Um, I definitely felt like he did that. Have, have you ever um, read um, a couple of years ago, a man called Uva was really, really popular. Did you ever read that book? No, I, you know, so many people have told me to read that and I have not, I have not yet read it. I, it comes up on my, on my suggested reading list all the time and I just haven't ever done yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, actually, I'm trying to think if, if you would actually enjoy it. I think there would be parts that you would really enjoy. I think there'd be parts that you really wouldn't, I think, okay. but anyway, um, <laughs> but this book reminded me a lot of A Man Called Uva at the beginning, um, because in mm -hmm. The Man Called Uva, um, this, the premise is that his wife has just died as well. Um, he's a widower and he doesn't feel that, um, essentially life is worth living. And so he basically attempts suicide, um, but keeps getting thwarted by his neighbors. Um, but this, so this book was a little bit different in that sense. It wasn't quite as dire of a premise. Um, but uh, it was definitely had a similar bent of, you know, maybe where you have a life and a lot of times, you know, I, you know, we're both married and both been married for a while. So at this point, our lives um, are parallel with our husbands and it would be very odd to, su to suddenly have this person that you've spent, you know, in his case, like 40 years with all of a sudden, the other half of that life is just gone. And then like you don't even know how to like put on your shoes anymore kind of a thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I think he had that that was very well played out too and in his experiences going back and kind of grappling with that who was this person and did I did I even know her and was that even real and going going over that and over that until yeah he came to terms with it um so I really liked how, you know, the people that he met um, sort of expanded his worldview. And um, I thought it was really interesting, too, that most of the people that he met along the way were other men. Um, it was just kind of an interest. It was written by a woman. Um, but a lot of the characters were men, which I feel like is kind of different for um, some books that I read. I read a lot of books about women. Um was there a favorite kind of person that you had that he met along that he met along the way? Um, let me think about that. I I I didn't think about it as in terms of male and female so much, I guess, until you just said that. But I think um, it is interesting that his his perceptions of females changed um, when you said that. It kind of made me think that like just the, his way what was the woman's name his neighbor Bernadette Bernadette yeah so the way he he changed his view of Bernadette over the course of the novel was kind of interesting like 
because he not not necessarily because her behavior changed at all, but just his growth was allowed him to see her differently. Um, and for really like more authentically, I think she really was just a nice person trying to help him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also I liked his relationship with her son a lot. I think that that was a fun part of it for me. Yeah. Um, and him also becoming more, you know, paternal um, with his own children. I liked. Yeah. Um, what did you think about his relationship with his kids? I mean, it kind of felt <clears throat> really stark to me at one point in time. Um, do you think that was a realistic portrayal? Um, I think it, like one of the book, one of the things, my first impression of the book, or there was a few parts of the book when I'm like, well, this book was written to become a movie or something like the, the just the mm. way that it was written. It was like kind of, I guess, because I'm also reading so much older stuff right now um, right. in my language. So the, the, their language is totally different. So newer books I've noticed have just that sort of script feeling of like only the details that are important to the scene are, you know, included. Right, are included, yeah. And, um, and I think that kind of plays out by extension in the way it, in his relationships with his kids. They're just very... Um, stereotypical like Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of depth or like complication it's like well yeah my dad didn't love me and so we didn't talk and it was just kind of like that's just the way it was you know instead of it being a little bit more complicated um, yeah it was more simplified Um, yeah they seemed a little flat I felt like um especially like Dan he was just so hard to get a hold like it just there wasn't maybe enough um development at all i mean lucy had at least a more interesting backstory about yeah um you know why she didn't attend her mother's funeral was because she had just had a miscarriage and but it was just all kind of like it it didn't we didn't really feel like we grew with lucy and and dan at all um yeah so i have to agree that was interesting and i don't know that i really um i guess it was just kind of their reaction to their mother's death was weird they both mm-hmm. like just kind of seem like, oh well, she died, and we're never going to talk to her dad again. And that just yeah. sounds weird. I don't know. That yeah. just I guess doesn't resonate with my experience, right? Um, not, but I don't not know. Very natural. Yeah. So thinking about so of course Miriam, you know, she's not actually present in the book, but she is one of the most present characters just because she's constantly on Arthur's um, mind. Um, What did you, what was your kind of impression of her? Um, It's, it's funny too, because the way you kind of only get to know her through Arthur. So you, the picture you get initially is just that like she was, this normal housewife that was really also very flat and, you know, had a normal, um, you know, cared about her kids and just wanted to be a, a normal housewife. Um, and I think by the end, I didn't, it, my opinion didn't really change of her of just like, you know, she was just, she was just normal and it was normal Mm -hmm. that she wouldn't talk about these things with her uh, with her husband after whatever um, kind of dramatic death um, 
of the of the boyfriend before um i guess that i didn't really that didn't seem like a very good climax to me i don't know that'd be such a downer about this but like like i didn't think like well if if i if i had a if i was dating somebody and they died tragically in a car crash um i think that's something that i would share with my significant other yeah. in the future <laughs> i don't like yeah i don't it know was kind of weird um yeah so yeah I kind of felt like I mean so I mean her life before was just so drastically different than her life as Arthur knew her and as he remembers her now granted you know he was gone at work and they were separate separated for most of the day so a lot of their lives were lived separately but um it does make me wonder kind of it is kind of weird like how do you reconcile the two her sort of adventurous self with um, maybe the less adventurous self. I know maybe Arthur um, sort of stifled her love of adventure somehow or kind of cramped her style. But it also sounded like she was the one who was insistent upon the routine. And um, Mm -hmm. because it kind of felt like every time he felt inhibited, he was like, oh, Miriam's going to say this looks, you know, it's not proper or it's not, um, you know, it's uncouth or something. and it, mm-hmm. it, I just kind of wonder if she was in, like, if she realized that she was sort of that oppressive force for him. I don't know if you felt the same way about that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think there, there was kind of a, a play between those, those two forces that he, he didn't, even, he'd never had an adventure. So, and she, I think she had, so it, it, it seemed like he project, he projected that on, um, onto her memory. Um, mm-hmm. um, and it became so much a part of it that he, the shock of, that she had had this previous life was right. even more, um, dramatic for him, um, because he had never seen her that way. Right. Do you feel like she was reacting to her the death of her um her boyfriend fiance kind of guy um martin i guess is his name do do you feel like she was reacting to that when she met and married arthur was she trying to i think she was kind of trying to overcorrect from something that she felt guilty about being part of that death um i think that the letters to the to the art teacher kind of show that Yes, that what that is the case. That there was, she was feeling super guilty about it, and um, and maybe Arthur was just the next thing that would you know bring everything to a close, and that's why she wanted to just close the door and yeah, overcorrect, um, become more the other extreme of mm-hmm. just trying to escape, but escaping in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Do you think she was happy? Um, I do. I think she was happy. I think you can find happiness in both extremes. Um, and especially near the end, it seemed like, you know, she really did care about her kids. Her kids definitely felt loved by her and Arthur felt loved by her. Um, so I think, I mean, unhappy people don't love people like that usually. So... It's like happy people don't kill their husbands, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just don't kill their husbands. <laughs> Exercise makes you happy. That's right. 
Um, so, um, what do you think? So what about this charm bracelet? Did you have, like, did you have a favorite charm? Um, I think I have a favorite story behind the charm. I don't, yeah. Okay. If that's the same question. Um, yeah. I think definitely my favorite charm was the tiger charm. That is just really cool. The, uh, the tigers in the, in the British gardens, I can t- I just can see that so clearly, like, that that's just, like... Is that a thing in England? (laughs) Tigers in British gardens? No, I think that's why it was so... I mean, yes, it'd be like, oh, that crazy old, you know, count or whoever who thinks he's so rich and awesome can just do whatever he wants. And then everybody goes and then he starts charging people to come and see it. It's just so... (laughs) It's just so British. Um. But I, I liked that I liked that. And that it was a mass production and I liked I liked that that it wasn't it was such a small like it was the the chances of him actually figuring out where it came from were, were pretty slim and then that that's kind of what started his whole venture. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I really thought that the thimble, um, the story of how they created the dress shop in Paris, while mm-hmm. first of all very unlikely because people don't buy wedding dresses off the street right um off the rack generally speaking um but i thought it was a kind of a really cool idea that they had kind of come up with that and kind of um their entrepreneurial spirit was kind of fun yeah and very very romantic but um highly unlikely at the same time right Um, but that was fun ultimately I feel like, um, you know, as he learns more about her, I mean, really he's learning, like, I think the the message of the story is he's learning more about himself and the more about how he's um, put these restrictions on himself, thinking he has to live a certain way instead of reaching out. And ultimately the result is he's, he's more connected to people. He has all these friends, all these, his life is so much richer with the people. In it. And I think that to me is sort of the main message. Um, and I just kind of wondered what you were, what your thoughts on um, people craving connection and being willing to put ourselves out there to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think there there's people that do that um, willingly, and um, Arthur kind of didn't do that very willingly. You know, he mm-hmm. he had this internal dialogue all the time of like. I just want to go home. I just want to be in my bed. I don't want to be here. But then a, an opportunity would come up and he just was so driven by this curiosity of uh, figuring out, you know, who his wife really was. Um, and I think that was his m- main motivation for most of the, most of the book um, until the very end, obviously he, he chooses um, to do that, um, to, to go out on a limb without without that driving force of curiosity just because he knows now that it's better to live um, more adventurously or, or more with more vulnerability I guess without the safety mm-hmm. of of your routines um, so I think that's that's something that I think Arthur can teach or taught us that um, that even if even if you're doing it unwillingly, um, you can you can still learn a lesson uh, that might be very beneficial 
to you and, and your relationships, um, even if it's hard going at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think each of the persons he meets is lonely. I mean, a lot of them. I mean, even some people might, you know, Lord Greystock had a a wife um, who was with him, but a lot of the other people were single or by themselves. And um, it just made me think about, you know, why don't we invite more people into our circle? Why do we, um, I think I think so many people are lonely. And the answer to that is to, you know, find people and be inclusive, but it just seems so difficult or people don't seem to want to do that or know how to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. It, that made me think of some, uh, something that happens at work to me a lot is, um, some of these moms are, you know, their whole lives revolve around their kid with special needs and they just have, they're just so drained and, um, and a lot of them are very lonely. And so when someone like me or, um, or direct care service or a service provider comes in uh, to their home, it's like their only friend. And it's really, I, I, I've been, I've had complaints about me actually that I'm like cold or I don't know, not that I'm like a cold person, but I, You're you know, so it's cold hearted. It's just like <laughs> that I'm not like friendly enough or like that mm-hmm. I don't, you know, because I'm just super professional, you know, I'm just there for the child right. and like, you know, get the job done. And um, that can kind of rub people the wrong way. And um, understandably, you know, and I've, I've tried to work on that as a professional um, to be more approachable, I guess. But I think it is it is hard when I see like, especially moms that would really get along with each other. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like they're in the same neighborhood or something like you guys have so many shared experiences you'd be I just want to set up like a like a blind dating like yeah. friend service <laughs> for some of my moms because it's like you don't have to be so isolated there's people so close to you that you guys would just really click if you had the right uh circumstances come up and and that also just being part of a military base just um there's so many there's a lot of lonely women and men that um and they generally there there's a good community of of people like in the neighborhood that you can get along with but then but then if it seems like things can go sour and people isolate and they they or they get burned and so they don't make friends with their new neighbors or um it is interesting the dynamics of just how yeah how people connect and and how necessary it is for every one of us to to have a a tribe i know that's not like a pc term anymore but to have like a a base of of people that understand them Mm -hmm. no i think it really is important and it's and it's so interesting because i've you know i have uh, my first guest on this podcast was my friend brianna who also lives on a military base um, and has had similar experiences with just trying to, I mean, she, and she's like worked so hard. At, she's like the best person about making connections and friends. Like she, like it's, it's a real skill of hers and she works really hard at it. Um, but even she, you know, just feeling really isolated and alone and, um, at times, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, I mm-hmm. think, 
but I think all of us to a certain extent, um, feel that from time to time. And it's, it's just so interesting. Um, because it, it is, it's the lonely people who are all lonely who could, you know, we could all band together, I guess, <laughs> to yeah. help each other out, but yeah. we're destined. Sometimes it feels that way. Yeah. It's a universal but, experience. Definitely a universally shared experience of loneliness. Yeah. But I think this book was really heartwarming in the sense of, um, I mean, ultimately he, he met, he, he traveled all around England or not that much all around England, but you know, a fair bit around England. Um, mm-hmm. but really it came back down to, um, you know, his birthday party was full of his neighbors, you know, and it really mm-hmm. came back down to, um, the people right outside his door, um, were the folks that he were there for him and, um, you know, he just had to be that adventurous. He just had to go outside his door and talk to the people across the garden, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And isn't that the truth that most of the time the answer is right in front of our faces and we, we go looking for it elsewhere all the time. But... Did you have a favorite scene in the book? Um, I, <laughs> it's so funny. I, I don't think this is my favorite scene, but the one that just popped into my mind was when he was in the in the art school, like making the decision to like go out naked or not. <laughs> like, yes, I thought that, that was, was so funny. That was a really funny part for me, just like because I've totally been there, where you're like not in the right place, not at the right time, and you're like, should I do this? Like, what am I doing here? Like, why? You know, people have expectations, and I'm not ready and. I mean, not that I've ever been asked to, like, disrobe, but, like, (laughs) but I've been in, like, a similar situation, similar situations to that, um, where people think I'm somebody that I'm not, or, you know, Mm -hmm. and he has to just, like, I'm just going to do this, you know, like, that's kind of, he's finally kind of loosening up. This is even before he knows where all the charms came from, Mm -hmm. and, um, but that's, that kind of shows his progress, I guess, and. Um, yeah, and his uh, decision to just move forward, even though it had nothing to do with the bracelet. So yeah, yeah. No, that, I thought that was really funny, and I almost I kind of made a note to myself about like, is this just British politeness that like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you told me I have to do this now I feel awkward. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is funny because you like maybe you or I would just be like, well, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, <laughs> But he's like feeling obligated and weird. It's yeah. Funny. Although I have, you know, I, have, I agree. There's, there's times where you, you do feel like you're in a situation where just going along with the flow seems to be the easiest, but um, it, was just, it was just a funny, I thought it was a fun, um, a fun moment. I thought the, the art instructor too was really funny how he was constantly on the phone with his wife or somebody and they had this sort of, I guess, thing that maybe they, I don't know, the fact of them being mad at each other was was sort of their relationship all the yeah. time, I guess. I don't know. How they, you know, how he got her back. It's like the only way to get her back is to lose her. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny. Um, so speaking about the art school, that reminds me of the the paint palette charm, which was um, Sunny Yardley's connection with her. Um, so did you think that, I mean, would you have said that Miriam was responsible for Martin's death? Not at all. Like, that was such a shock to me. Like, 
when she said she's a murderer, and like, I don't know if that was some kind of, like, dramatic, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know the literary term, but just, like, she's a murderer, and then you're like, what? Like, how does she murder someone? She's this <laughs> nice lady from Britain, you know? Yeah. She's never heard a fly. Um, I think it was a little bit dramatic, and uh, I would not blame her at all for that, um, yeah. for that kind of I- death. I agree. I felt like it, you know, it's a tragedy, but not one that could be pinned on Miriam. Um, and it just kind of made me think about sort of comparing Sonny and Arthur's grieving. I mean, for sure, Arthur, um, at the very beginning of the book, especially was grieving. And throughout the book, he um, mentioned sadness and how he just sadness and how he just wanted to be able to hold Miriam in his arms again. Um, but Sonny um, was clearly had let the grief um, take her take over completely and kind of took it into blaming and things. And I just wondered if you thought if it was fair to compare their grief, if it was, if it was a different kind of situation or what you thought about that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I do think it's different um, when young people die. I think there's a, there's a sense of unfairness and um, just, it just feels way more, Horrible. It's just more of a tragedy, honestly, when when young people die and their whole lives were ahead of them. They had all this potential. Um, and Miriam had a good life. You know, she lived a good long life. Um, she was taken fairly young still, but, not. you know, she had a family and she had lived. Um, and so I think that's something to take into account when you when comparing those two people and how they how they grieved that, mm-hmm. you know, her brother was so you know, at the peak of his, you know, art career. He, did he, was he the one that sketched um, Miriam? The one? Yeah. That, this, okay. Yeah. Yep. So, ever, you know, he was, you know, had been inspired, you know, he had all of this inspiration to give. Um, so I think it, it's much easier for somebody that when somebody dies that young, where they had such a impetus, I guess, um, or they seem to, um, that it, it, it would seem more dramatic or more, I guess, appropriate to be dramatic about it instead yeah. of just like, you know, there wasn't that many memories to reminisce over or think of or mm-hmm. um, when, when you're grieving someone that's young. Yeah, um, that's fair. Did you get the impression that Sunny was in love with Miriam? I did a little bit. I think, okay, so I've had some weird uh, friendship experiences happen recently uh, in the last year. There have been some crazy mm-hmm. things happen. And um, I kind of got, I kind of got that, I, I guess when you're, when you're talking about good friends, like good friends respect people's boundaries and um, it's understandable when that person starts dating someone, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. or, or maybe makes another friend, you know, like, yeah, I, I think there, there's, um, that like real friendship, I think is, or genuine friendship is, is that, is that there's like a basis of understanding of coming and going and not that like obsessive, like possession kind of feeling that Sunny talked about mm-hmm. Miriam with like, she was my friend and she was, you know, she was supposed to come back to me, that kind of thing. I did, I didn't 
get that in the impression in the book, but that's what I thought of. Um, I didn't get the impression that she was in love with her, but I got this, like, well, she wasn't really a true friend. <laughs> she was, mm-hmm. there's other, some, there's something else going on or she, she wasn't, she didn't understand what real friendship yeah, is. It kind of felt like her jealousy of the Martin and Miriam situation, like sort of fueled her additional grief because she felt like she was, not only was she jealous that they became friends and lovers, um, but she like felt that because they did that, it led to this tragedy. Yeah, she was. It was easier for her to draw that line between bl- or blaming or blaming Miriam. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, why do you think Miriam ultimately kept the charm bracelet a secret, or do you think it was a secret and Arthur was was not a secret and Arthur was just like being obtuse? Yeah, um, it was a surprise to me that, um, is it Dan, the son, that that's, the son yeah. had known about it? Um, that kind of leads to the second uh, of your of your guesses. But he was just, yeah, <laughs> he was just like, yeah. he just was not aware of things. He just wasn't thinking about uh, Miriam as much. Um, but uh, I think... I think it was probably it's probably a little bit of both. You know, he he definitely wasn't as attentive um, as I mean, there was t- times he even referenced that, like with with the with the Christmas present or the birthday present. Like, well, you said we weren't going to get presents this year, and right? And, and she's, she's like, super. Uh. Uh, that's not what I meant. <laughs> like, you should not. That's not what I meant. So um, that kind of. Uh, is evidence that he might have just been obtuse. Um, but at the same time, I think she really did want to put it behind her. She really mm-hmm. didn't care to to bring it up, and it wasn't important to her relationship with Arthur, or she didn't feel like it was. So, yeah. Do you think their relationship would have ha- would have been different if she had been more open about her past? I do. I do think it would have been much different. I think. It would have been, uh, maybe it wouldn't have turned out the same. Like, maybe Arthur wouldn't have been so, like, wouldn't have gone on those adventures. But I think maybe they would have gone on more adventures together. I think they would have Mm -hmm. been able to, he he, he would have been able to open up a little bit more knowing that there was more to life than just a routine and, um, you know, nose to the grindstone. Yeah. It does make me wonder if, I mean, I feel like Arthur just assumed that Miriam had no past. I don't know. I mean, it seems like, I mean, I feel like a lot of the the responsibility lies on his shoulders of how did he get so far in his relationship without being curious, more curious. Yeah, I thought of that too. Like, I mean, he took, he took so much for granted in his life. Um, and he and he really did like he never really blamed himself for any of his relationship problems with his children or or he did, he wasn't aware that he had relationship mm-hmm. problems with his children at that um and i think he wasn't even really aware of uh anyone but himself and until until he found the charm bracelet you know he was just really all caught up in in arthur uh for forever 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just too bad, yeah. you know. <laughs> it is too bad. And it, and it, and it, you know, that kind of thing makes me, it, it kind of makes me sad to think about, you know, are there ways that I'm doing that same thing? Um, but yeah. anyway, I am glad my kind of my favorite part of the book. Well, I don't know. There had a lot of different favorite parts, I guess, or just parts that I thought were kind of funny. Um, but I did appreciate the birthday part at the end. I thought it was really touching, um, kind of how they all came together, um, and did the photo montage for Mm -hmm. him, um, just to remind him that, um, you know, his life up until now had been great and there's still more to come and, um, kind of giving him hope to embrace adventure in the future. So, yeah, yeah, that was, I did want to talk about, about the, the young man that he gives advice to in the coffee shop, um, who's just like super distressed about oh, which, yeah. which woman he's supposed him. to. <laughs> yes, I did too. And just, I totally just forgot about that now. guy. Yeah. But that's, that was kind of an, int- also maybe just illustrating more of Arthur's character of just like, well, you you know you're personally responsible for <laughs> your happiness and you know you're you're not going to be happy with girl a if you, you can't respect her because you've been mm-hmm. cheating on her the, all this time and you can't be you're not going to be happy with girl b because um you can't respect her either because <laughs> you, mm-hmm. she does all these nasty things with you so um i thought that was a really uh maybe not foreshadowing but kind of showed where Arthur was in his life like he he that's who he felt like he was figuring out like the Miriam that the the previous Miriam was this like all of a sudden he had felt all this betrayal like he he doesn't know which way is up and he could mm-hmm. even trust what who Miriam was and then um at the end it kind of comes together that like no she was a real like a full person and and it's okay to have you know past it's okay to it's okay to be hmm. dynamic well, before we close, I like to talk to my guests about what is making us and them happy. So um, I can start first if you'd like. Um, so what is making me happy lately? So since the holidays are coming up, I am going to recommend two different holiday-related things. And the first is a movie that I watched on Netflix just a couple days ago. It's called Pottersville. And it's kind of like... So if you've watched It's a Wonderful Life, you'll recognize the name Pottersville from the sort of dream sequence of It's a Wonderful Life. Um, It's kind of a strange twist on that. It's kind of got similar themes, but I just found it really interesting. And I'm not an expert or film critic, but I felt like um, it was just kind of well done for what it was. I mean, it's not like it's not going to win any Oscars or anything, but um, it was just sort of well put together and, and very clean. And I really liked clean in the sense of um like cleanly put together <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense but it was really yeah. kind of fun and kind of a, a twist on the, the typical um super sappy um holiday movies so it wasn't very sappy but it was it still had a good message at the end um otherwise it wouldn't be a holiday movie yeah, <laughs> but, right. and then the second thing which I don't um would if kind of goes along with our British theme of this book is the Great British Baking Show, which is also on Netflix. Um, but I don't know. If, some people I don't know if they know that there's also something called the Masterclass series of Great British Baking Show. So like, there's like three different versions of Br- Great 
British baking show on my Netflix feed, and one of them is called Masterclass. And it's where the judges go through and show you how to make every single challenge on the season the correct way. But the last episode of each series, each season, is actually like a holiday Christmas-themed um, episode. And so they're like cooking in the kitchen together and they're making um, different uh, confections that are Christmassy. And I, I just enjoy watching um, – I enjoy kind of watching people bake. I don't have to eat the calories that come off of them. I also enjoy sort of the British accents, of course, and then seeing the traditional different, the different traditional foods that are coming, that are um, common in Britain. So like, for example, they were making like mincemeat pies um, and a mm -hmm. Christmas pudding and all these things that look different, yeah. not necessarily <laughs> gross, but very different than what I eat here. Yeah. Um, but um, I just very kind of puts me in the holiday mood. So I really like those things. So that's what I'm recommending. That's Do great. I'm going to have to check those out. I, I, I use Netflix solely to, uh, watch like the crappiest kind of shows. Like I do. I like waste pretty time. little liars. Abby. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know you were going to have to bring that up eventually. That is so sad. Yes. Both of us. Okay. Yes. It wasn't just me. All right. And, and Glee. Guys, I have to tell our, we have to tell our listeners right before it was like basically Abby would come and we watched Pretty Little to my apartment and we'd watch like little Pretty Little Liars for like like basically binge watching it. Um, yeah. I think at one point in time you slept over at my house because you were binge watching it, didn't want to walk home. So, yes. yeah, that's <laughs> really funny. That's true. It's true. I I cannot I cannot deny it. Um, I but yeah, similarly, I I have just guilty pleasures on Netflix, so I I need to have you know, something good to watch. <laughs> um, let's see, recommendations. I, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would recommend that everybody read Charlotte Mason, but I know that's, that would never happen. No, nobody's going to read her, but I, she's just been my jam recently and has really opened my eyes to things. So I, I would suggest her. I, I guess I would also suggest like buying a real Christmas tree because that just makes me happy yeah I uh, we bought a real tree this year we've never done it before and it's really changed the atmosphere of our home even though it's messier and kind of impractical mm -hmm. and we're just going to throw it away but just the smell and the, the the atmosphere that it makes in our just having a real like used to be living thing <laughs> in our house that's awesome I would recommend that Did did you go and buy it from like Home Depot or Lowe's or did you cut it down? Um, we went to a, a Christmas tree farm nearby. Uh, it was, I mean, uh, off the freeway several miles. Um, but they, they have them tagged, the ones that you can pick and then they'll cut it down. Or they have some that they've already harvested and that are just like hanging out in the warehouse. That's um, cool. So it's just like a local, like we talked to the guy because Patrick is all, all talking. He, he talks to everybody about, you know, small businesses and how to make money off the land or whatever. So apparently Christmas trees are a good side, side job for farmers. Um, and, and that's what this family is like. They're, they're just retired teachers um, and school administrators locally that just decided to do this with their retirement um, aid any you know, aid them in their retirement. So there's just a nice old couple that run this farm. It's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's a tradition in my family. 
when I was growing up to go chop down a Christmas tree at a Christmas tree farm. Um, and now I think they, my parents, um, buy their tree at like Costco, not the <laughs> artificial ones, but the already pre-cut ones, uh-huh. um, that are like, you know, once we're alive, but now we're dead. Yeah. Um, but this year we didn't have a tree last year because it was just kind of like, I refused to get an artificial tree. Um, but this year just, it kind of felt sad without a tree. So, and our situation right now, it's not a good one for getting a live tree. So we bought this like little tabletop tree and we kind of called it, you know, um, honing our cat lady because <laughs> it kind of feels like a cat lady tree, but, yeah. um, I guess it's, it's a little bit happier, I think, than it was last year without a tree at all. That's so good. Yeah. Something's I think better that's a, than nothing. <laughs> sometimes that is the case. So Abby, thank you for coming <laughs> on my podcast. It's been so great to talk to you. The honor has truly been mine. Honestly, I was, and you know, and I'd probably do this again. And are you going to tell us what book you're doing next? Because I think I would like to keep reading along with you. That's exactly what I'm about to do. But first, I want to say thanks to each of you for tuning into another episode of Infinitely Prefer a Book. You can connect with me via email or Instagram at infinitelyprefer-a-book and infinitelyprefer-a-book at gmail.com. Let me know who your favorite character in the book was. In January, we will be reading and discussing A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. I've heard many great things about this book, and I am excited to read it with you.